Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. This is part two of Mixing the Blues Away. I'm your host, David Michael, and I'm sitting with Mo Dango and Tony DeSero, and we're going to talk about the science behind music therapy, DJing as a connection to others, and the problem of escapism. So if you remember last week, we talked about uh, music in general as therapy, and then specifically how EDM kind of fits into that equation, the nostalgia factor of music and the memory association thing. And so today I want to get a little more sciencey with it. Before we get that far, was it yesterday, Modingo? When was your you had this po- poetry oh, the poetry slam? slam. Yeah, yeah. What was that about, and how did that work? I have no idea how to DJ a poetry slam. Yeah, so that was last night, and. Um... I didn't know what to expect. I just sort of offered to help because I saw that they were having an event and didn't really know if I could offer any assistance, but, you know, I figured why not? You know, I mean, hell, you DJed at a sushi restaurant, so why couldn't I DJ at a at a poetry slam? Why not? I had no idea what I was going to do, but my initial thoughts were just to play some, you know, kind of warm the room up, uh, play some trip hop, you know, really slow, jazzy, you know, maybe some uh, remixes or edits. But just kind of uh, get that chill sense, you know, like people sitting in a smoky room, snapping their fingers, wearing yeah. sunglasses and berets, you know, beatnik style. So when you poetry slam, is this like a like hip hop delivery style type of poetry or is this kind of like a laid back sitting on a stool reading? Was it was it varied? How did so it's kind of a combination of the two where they had all the contestants go up and then they had judges in the audience and they had three rounds. So at the end of each round, the judges would give a score to each of the contestants. And then the next round, they went in ascending order. And then in the third round, they went in descending order. So it's kind of like a tournament style almost. And like as they progressed, like they would, one of them would get chipped off or one or two, I don't remember. And so it got down to the very end, it was three poets left. And they did their three strongest poems that they felt they could deliver that night. Some really interesting stuff. A lot of younger guys there. I'd say of those top three finishers, they were probably average no more than 25. So I was really impressed with their ability to express themselves you know, being that young and not necessarily having a lot of life experience, but definitely having a feel for you know a spoken word and poetry because there was a couple I was like, damn, that was some deep, deep shit right there. That's tight. The, the guy that actually won, I think he was the youngest of the three, and he talked about uh, basically people being fake about who they are and not being true to themselves. And that was the winning poem that he said at the very end. And uh, ironically enough, he asked me if I knew anybody that was into producing. So, Tony, I will definitely be sending him your way. Okay. Uh, because I, I don't know what he wants to do, but if he puts some of those poems to like a nice chilled out nice track beat. yeah fire <laughs> yeah man. yeah it's definitely linked up at, at the event itself what when were you mixing the whole time or how did that when were you actually playing music so part of the rules is that they can't have music and they can't use props it's just they have to be up there oh. with their they can i mean they some of them are using ipads or their phones and some had little notepads and books but I was just playing like music in between. So after they were done, I would start playing music while the judges were doing their scoring. Okay. And then, you know, in between when they had a little break, you know, mixing up some like really chilled out stuff. 
And then I actually wound up kind of emceeing a little bit because the guy that was throwing it, he had done multiple slams, but he had never put one together. So I kind of sensed him struggling a little bit mm-hmm. for content up there, just talking in front of people. So I just started har- harassing him back and forth. And actually, he wound up relaxing. And we were just like in between, just kind of, you know, going antagonizing each other. So this is all about their delivery. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, some people just sort of stood up there and read, but others were like very physically, um, speaking physically. Sure. You know, with their hands. Emotions. Emotion, and- facial expression, uh, inflection, uh, volume and pitch. Uh, yeah. The, like I said, the, the young guy that won, he had all those elements together. That's awesome. And it was very impressive to see that dude just rock it. It takes a lot to have confidence to, to put a microphone in front of your mouth and talk to a crowd that's just staring at you and to be able to keep that pitch and that or not that pitch but just your tone your levels everything perfect speaking perfectly man that's difficult i put a mic in front of my face i duck (laughs) i mean here i can do it because it's just us but when i get in front of a crowd i mean i worked in so many top 40 clubs that i mean it was hard for me to get on a mic and say hey make sure you take care of your bartenders and your cocktail waitresses and blah this and blah that i had to duck below the booth (laughs) go to your safe space (laughs) right but yeah doing that in front of a crowd and being able to keep all that stuff online man that's that gala event that i talked about last week was nobody said anything about a microphone (laughs) and so they were like can you make some announcements yeah can you make some announcements (laughs) can you get on and talk about uh, can you mention the hashtag for this event and and i'm like oh uh yeah sure i guess and then i got up there and i must have waited for like (laughs) 45 seconds just like uh, okay. Stand there, look like uh, the Statue of Liberty. You're holding the mic. You're like, uh. Well, and uh, this is not not long ago. I went and saw you at the CrossFit gig yeah. that you played, and I my immediate thought when I got up there was like, man, I kind of wish Modingo was here. I would just <laughs> <laughs> pass the mic and let him do it. Because I, I mean, it is that's intimidating to to be up there and have to talk like that. Yeah. Luckily for me in the military, I'm required to get up and speak a lot in front of like crowds of people that are actually, you know, assessing the quality of what I'm speaking because I'm having to, you know, deliver information, you know, to maybe help get us some money or manpower or something. So I've had uh, lots of opportunities to brief, you know, so coming in here and doing this is unique because it's just the three or four of us at any given time. So it took me a while to get used to it. And it's evidenced by me listening to my first couple episodes. Yeah garbage <laughs> no, I, I feel like i'm getting a little better you're preaching to the choir on that one <laughs> but going back to the poetry just having the courage to go up there and actually put something out there that you created and opening yourself up to other people's critique that may or may not have as much experience as you that that takes uh that takes a lot you know because i know when i do a mix and i put it out there like i had you guys listen to it and kind of tell me what you thought yeah, you know, that that took. I mean, I was only releasing it to three people that I knew. To sit yeah. there and speak in front of a room full of fifty people, that's uh, that's a whole nother level of courage I don't have. <laughs> what did you think about it from just the gig perspective? Like, did you enjoy it? Would you want to do it again? Was it exciting, boring? Any thoughts? I actually, I actually enjoyed it. I'd never been to one. I've kind of watched some on. I kind of watched a few just to kind of get an idea of what was going on. But the only the only stuff I could really find on on the inner on the interwebs was kind of like those ciphers where they're battling yeah. you know which i knew that's what i wasn't going to expect but i was like i actually kind of interested to go find one of those now because that was just like 
off the dome, just live dissing in public. You know, that was pre- that's pretty impressive for people to have the capacity to do that. Yeah. I watch those quite a bit. Like yeah. ciphers, rap battles, and things like that. They're very, very interesting. Yeah, especially like just the, the really clever people. You know yes. what I mean? Like where you just watch because you can tell, like sometimes you can tell, okay, that was a good verse, but I'm not sure if you're, if that's coming off the top of your head or not. Right. But when they're like reacting to things that are happening in the room or pointing at people and someone happened to be wearing a red shirt and this and that, yeah. and it's like, wow, it's just an, an impressive skill. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, play this clip uh, before we get into our main topic. Once again, we mentioned last week that I found this really cool documentary called Before We Were Kings, and we'll be playing a couple of clips from that again this week. And I will drop a link for you to rent or buy a digital copy in the show notes, and Amazon Prime members can watch it for free. And Dave's sharing his password. And I'm sharing my password with all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Just kidding, Amazon. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just go, God. That's just jokes, Amazon. Yeah. You talked about Moby a little bit last week, Tony, mm-hmm. and Moby was in this documentary, and so I want to start with a clip here. Cool. For every way in which I have music in my life is, for me, very therapeutic. You know, making music is therapeutic, thinking about music is therapeutic, performing music, listening to music, every aspect of it feels like music therapy to me. You take someone and you play their favorite piece of music from when they were a child, And all of a sudden, whether they've had a stroke, whether they're aphasic, whatnot, suddenly they blossom. You know, and people who've lost the power of speech can sing. And people who've lost the power of movement can dance. And really firsthand seeing just the effectiveness and the power of music therapy is remarkable. Mm, Deep. I thought that was cool and I agreed with everything that he said, but it was... I kind of consider myself a bit of a skeptic. And so when I hear things like people are getting physically healed from music it sets kind of alarms off in my head and so i i kind of want i'm like well what what is the science behind that what's the research behind that you know not just i'm feeling sad today and this music made me feel better but helping people with physical therapy things and helping them to walk and all this kind of stuff i'm like is there anything behind that and so i actually did find some pretty interesting info from some uh like peer-reviewed journals and like some actual stuff to back this up so i actually have an excerpt here from an article which comes from the american psychological association and it's called music as medicine while music has been long recognized as an effective form of therapy to provide an outlet for emotions the notion of using song sound frequencies and rhythm to treat physical ailments is a relatively new domain says psychologist daniel levitin who studies the neuroscience of music at mcgill university in montreal a wealth of new studies is touting the benefits of music on mental and physical health for example they found that music improves the body's immune system function and reduces stress listening to music was also found to be more effective than prescription drugs in reducing anxiety before surgery we found compelling evidence that musical interventions can play a healthcare role in settings ranging from operating rooms to family clinics, says Levitin. The researchers found that listening to music and playing it increases the body's production of the antibody immunoglobulin A. I had to practice that word. <laughs> that was a mouthful. Very good, very good. Immun- <clears throat> immunoglobulin A and natural killer cells, which are the cells that attack invading viruses and boost the immune system's effectiveness. 
And music also reduces levels of the stress hormone cortisol. And this is one reason why music is associated with relaxation. Hmm. So there has been some research on this. And I mean, this is just one out of many things that I found that music can have sort of, if you want to call it, healing properties, which I thought was pretty cool. Absolutely. Very cool. In my opinion, I think anything can be better than prescription drugs. To be right. quite yeah, no kidding. Yeah, totally agree with you, man. Especially after the the epidemic that we seem to find ourselves in in the states here, that yeah. that all seems to start with. Did you see that Mark Zuckerberg was in Dayton yesterday? Was he really? Yeah, talking about the opi uh, the opioid epidemic. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's rough here in particular. Oh, I thought he was here for the Limp Bizkit concert. <laughs> yeah, it's Sunoco. The Sunoco around the yeah. corner. <laughs> about a year late, Mark. <laughs> This excerpt comes from, uh, it was Cornell University, actually. They have a blog called Evidence-Based Living. We've all heard the idiom, music is good for the soul, but according to the evidence, it's good for your health as well. A new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that children admitted to the emergency department who listened to music during routine procedures showed less distress and reported lower pain scores than those who didn't listen to music. The study included a total of 42 children aged 3 to 11 years who had an IV line placed. So not a huge pool, but half of them were randomly selected to listen to music that was selected by a music therapist during the procedure. Healthcare providers reported that it was easier to insert the IV line in children who were listening to the music. Healthcare providers also reported more satisfaction with the placement compared to those who did not listen to the music. So this seems pretty, I don't want to say universal, but there's... A lot of people getting real actual health benefits from music, which I thought was pretty fascinating. That's very cool. I had uh, seen a quick video on a website, musicandmemory.org. And the one that specifically made remind uh, that I remembered as a result of talking about this was uh, they're showing an elderly man who has dementia and hasn't really spoke for quite a while. And they played some music from his youth. Mm. And all of a sudden, the guy starts talking. Wow. And he talks about, like, he how he remembers the music, how we talked on the last episode about, like, certain songs will trigger certain memories and emotions. And this guy just starts talking. Yeah. And it's just, like, it, it's pretty amazing. And uh, we'll link a clip to that in the show notes. But, but pretty awesome, just showing that it can tap deeper into things that can't get out superficially. So he just started talking just, from just hearing the music. Talking, that's, hearing the song. that's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We um I have a sister, she's I think she's 16 now and she's severely low functioning autistic. So like she's she's always going to need some help probably. She's never going to be like fully independent. So I it's this has my wheels turning like Okay, what there's some music ben- there's some health benefits to music. Is there something out there that we're not tapping into that could help her, you know, because there was for example, I watched another documentary and I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was about somebody who was autistic and, you know, autism itself being a, a spectrum disorder is really hard to diagnose, treat or even like have a plan of attack around because it's it's different yeah it varies so much one person might just have a little bit of trouble communicating whereas the next person needs help going to the bathroom you know what i mean it's just it's such a wide spectrum and so it's it's hard to really pinpoint how to how to help with that but the 
the communication barrier seems to be a pretty common issue. Like they have stuff rattling around in their head that they can't just get out. Yeah. For some of those uh, people with that autism spectrum, it's uh, the way you can read it being described is almost like being trapped in a prison mm. because everything's firing off, but they just can't get it out. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, that's gotta be just maddening. Yeah, and and they say that one out of like seventy three or something people is said to be on the spectrum and on some level, which is just an insanely high number. And I've got to wonder, it, it maybe it's already happening. Happening, you know. There's some music therapy scenarios out there that are are helpful for this. I found uh, this documentary that I watched. The guy on there was completely nonverbal. You know, he he was an older guy, and so he came from an uh, an era where he was just mentally retarded, is all they called it. You know, they didn't really autism wasn't called what it is now, and they just knew that he wouldn't really talk. And then they gave him it was like an iPad type thing. It was you know something with a keyboard on it and a, and a screen that he could tap onto, and they were showing him typing stuff and it was popping up on the screen as he was typing it and he was typing these like full paragraphs of really intelligent you know he was putting these really intelligent sentences together and people had no idea that he that he had that in there and there was something about him being able to process it that way and put it on the screen he was just able to get that stuff out and that's been extremely helpful for him and i i wonder if if music is that for somebody else you know I, I think a lot of people are just looking for something that's easy and in front of them you know hence why the pharmaceutical industry is so it's a you know billion gazillion dollar industry yeah. you know they just want to be able to hey give somebody this pill it'll fix everything and a lot of times i don't think we often think about non-conventional medical treatment such as music as a way to help people get through some of their issues like in the last episode we talked about ptsd you know that's something i'm pretty familiar with because i have friends that suffer from it and you know music helps them so so why couldn't it help someone who's on the low functioning end of the autism spectrum there's um there's definitely times where i'm, I'm the type of person i don't i don't announce my feelings a lot yeah but there are songs that speak the same words that i feel so therefore, when I do play that song or even if it's if it's a relationship with a girl or, you know, even a best friend or whatever, and I can send them that song, you know, hey, this is really this is how I feel. It's hard for me to say, but this is how I can get it out mm. to you. You know, even as a DJ, when we mix, we put our emotion into it with with music and and things like that. You know, it's That's a good point because we didn't touch on that last week with using the DJing, then we're going to talk a little bit about connecting to other people mm -hmm. here shortly, but like that, um, self-expression mm -hmm. way, you know, yeah. like that can be its own kind of therapy. Right. Like and it's, I don't it's, know how to express how I feel. So here it is. So, yeah. So here's this song that'll tell you exactly how I feel and what's going on in my mind, et cetera, et cetera. And then Tony and I being eighties uh, kids, you know, <laughs> making those physical mixtapes. Oh yeah. You couldn't just hey, like, I did them too. <laughs> where you couldn't just, you know, arrange it on your iPad and then send it in an email. Like you physically had to record it on a tape in order. You know, that was, I remember that being like, you knew that you were on a whole nother level of commitment with your eighth grade girlfriend, you know, when you took the time to make her a mixtape, you know, 
<laughs> and you handed the soundtrack to the Karate Kid. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, but getting back to the, the musical aspect of helping people with autism, my cousin, uh, he's uh, on the higher functioning end of the spectrum, but uh, his dad says that ever since he started uh, playing guitar, like his uh, ability to focus has improved, improved significantly and his confidence has improved significantly. And this is all around the way he's, his ability to express himself and carry himself. I mean, my man's got like four guitars and every summer he goes to a band camp back in Illinois. And my brother was telling me that they're almost at the point where like, dude, I don't know how much more we can teach you. Because <laughs> like he, he picks up everything like the first or second try because part of the autism thing is about uh, repetition and patterns that they usually folks with that um, issue tend to have the ability to work better with those types of things. Because even from a military standpoint, I think in the Israeli self-defense force, they intentionally find individuals on the autism spectrum because they're able to look at code. And they're like, hey, there's something wrong there because it just pops out to them, you know, which, you know, I really wish our country would kind of embrace some of those unique skill sets. Absolutely. You know, even things like uh, people with certain types of colorblindness, they use them as scouts because they can pick out like, why is there a black bush in the middle of this mm -hmm. desert? You know, because their their eyes don't see the colors the same way normal people see them. Mm -hmm. So they, they make really good scouts. It, what you're talking about with the pattern recognition and stuff like that. It would be helpful if people would rec would realize that that's part of the spectrum as well. So, in other words, I think a lot of people they either they think of the idiot savant like Rain Man versus quote unquote normal person. Hey, and it's his it's, brother. His brother used that to his advantage to take out take out take out uh, Caesars, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not always that. It's just a particular trait that they might. Be, you know, they, they have an advantage in that way, you know, and it's the same thing in, in the colorblindness situation, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah, just like a unique skill set or, or trait for them, you know. One of, um, one of my all-time favorite movies is called August Rush. You guys ever seen it? Heard of it? It's got Robin Williams in it. It's, um, I mean, to, to make a long story short, it's a, a kid that was born, uh, put into an orphanage, and he w was a music prodigy. But I don't really want to go into details of the movie, but the minute the kid picked up a guitar for the very first time, just started started playing it. I mean, he played it laying down, like the guitar was laying flat, you know, yeah. and he would sit yeah, Indian style. Yeah. yeah, and he started playing it, and Robin Williams heard him playing it because Robin Williams ran this... It was... Uh, there was a lot of runaway kids that were living in this mm. warehouse uh, or this abandoned, it was like a, an abandoned theater in New York. And these kids were all like sh kind of street performers, you know, okay. and they would collect all this money. Well, to make a long story short, the kid had never picked up instrument. He, everything that he heard, um, whether it be, you know, uh, an empty milk jug rolling across the concrete, he just heard those sounds and he ended up going to, uh, to Juilliard as a, like, Oh. A, a 11 or 12 year old kid and he wrote this whole symphony and I don't like I don't want to go any any more into the movie but you guys should definitely watch August it and check Rush. it out August Rush the first time I watched it as soon as it was over I watched it again it was that, that good. good it's oh. it's an amazing movie but yeah it was it was really cool to see and I don't think the kid had autism but yeah check the movie out 
And and while we're on the the subject of particular conditions, especially often misunderstood ones, anxiety, depression, you know, stress, all that kind of stuff is very misunderstood. And a lot of people just think that, like, for instance, depression is just being sad or being the blues, you know, as we say, which sometimes is true. But there, you know, there is severely debilitating clinical depression and anxiety that is a real like an actual medical issue. Everything can be right, but nothing is right. You know, my wife is one of these people. And I got permission before saying that she's um, has a lot of struggles in this area with anxiety and depression, particularly. And uh, her approach is, yes, yes, please talk about this because she she wants to champion this stuff. Yes. To be, get it out there. Because so many it's so misunderstood and only the people who really experience it actually understand how that works and how debilitating and how mm-hmm. it just keeps you from doing anything. Yeah. Individuals with this condition, they're not just someone who wants to stay in their pajamas and stay in bed all day. It's just sometimes right. they don't have the capacity to get out and interact. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I've known people with this and I've seen people with this and it's it, sometimes it's the first reaction is to get frustrated. Why can't this person do this? Why can't they just get out of bed? Why can't they just go outside but it's not that simple. A lot of it's chemically based mm-hmm. and just their body doesn't have the capacity to regulate certain hormones that put them in these in these really debilitating states. Yeah. And so for for her, I mentioned briefly in the last episode that we created a, a playlist together in Spotify and it's called Feel Good Tunes. And it's it's just for this purpose. It's for either one of us. We both contribute to it. But you know, just feeling sad, need to hear one of those uplifting songs, like personally uplifting, whether it's associated with a good memory or it's quote unquote our song, or if it just has that, that quality, you know, Blind Melon, No Rain is on there that I mentioned last week. Yeah. And we just take all those kind of tunes and, and drop them in there. So too short. So, no, not too short. Yeah. We don't get, we didn't go that far. But, um, her approach to countering this is keeping herself really busy like having a a a project to focus on Uh, she's a realtor she's crushing it as a realtor and she puts all her energy into that but it's then that turns into okay i need to make sure that i'm not just relying on this as a crutch and so and, and that's a constant battle that she has you know, internally with making sure, okay, I need this, but I need to not rely on this. You can't let it be a crutch. Right. And so uh, we actually received a voicemail from a local listener, uh, Justin Border, and he mentioned this problem of escapism. Let's give it a listen. Hey guys, my name is Justin and I'm a bedroom DJ from your hometown with a few gigs under my belt. I'll answer your question from the perspective of someone who DJs as a hobby rather than a primary focus. Um, I think that, as with any hobby, mixing music either alone or in front of a crowd can absolutely serve as therapy, uh, just like playing video games or going on hikes or whatever your passion may be. However, you have to be careful that you're not diving into escapism. The short-term high or mood adjustment from spinning can't replace whatever long-term correction is needed for those ongoing feelings of sadness or detachment. Those problems will still be waiting for you at some point, so it just boils down to intent. And if you're honest with yourself as to why DJing is your therapy, then I think you'll either have genuine fulfillment or decide to seek more effective treatment. And I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on that. 
So um, I think Justin knocked this one out of the park. I love this this voicemail because it's absolutely true. And it's in, you know, like he says, it's not just music or DJing, but anything that you use as as that um, personal relief can become an escape, which is okay when you need it. But people tend to do that overdo like we do <laughs> that's how people become drug addicts that's how exactly mm-hmm. how people or, come any or anything gambling, addicts gambling alcohol uh, like uh, any online other. gamers that sit there <clears throat> and play themselves to death mm-hmm. you know i thought those i didn't think those things were real mm-hmm. but there's been multiple incidences throughout the world where i think world of warcraft i think was the first one that really sucked people in and people maybe, maybe everquest yeah, oh, no, that too. Bring it away. <laughs> I have nerded up real quick. <laughs> but didn't even need to like, open a blog for yeah. that. <laughs> but people were like losing relationships and families, oh, and yeah. just because they got so immersed in this quote feel good that they just dialed everything else out. Well, and the other thing too, since we're we're bringing this from a DJ perspective. A lot of us are involved in the nightlife thing and going to clubs and bars and places where there's alcohol, possibly drugs and girls and guys and whatever, you know, all those things that whatever your personal escape is there, the drugs and the alcohol thing can really get swept up into this, you know, and even you might tell yourself that I'm going out because I need this social time to feel better. But then if you start relying on the drugs and the alcohol as part of that, then it becomes its own beast. It's a quick fix. It's not. But it doesn't even have to be like the drugs, the alcohol, just going out Mm -hmm. and being out, you know, and using that as your escape. If you just hate whatever it is or you're avoid you're avoiding something generally but sometimes people just have those addictive personalities you know where things just get out of control and they're out of balance and even just bringing it back to you know the djing specifically that doesn't seem like a particularly unhealthy escape right but anything that you put all of yourself into and at the expense of something else can be a problem so for example if you're living every day and feeling miserable because you need to have a really important conversation with your significant other or something like that. And you just say, uh, I'll just go play music instead. And you do that for weeks and weeks in a row, then it's becoming part of the problem, not the solution or treatment. So I think that's an excellent point. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about the aspect of DJing and the kind of personal therapy type effects from the perspective of sharing music with other people and having a connection with other people not necessarily just the music itself or sitting in a room by yourself but that kind of interaction and what that can do for people so i have another clip from moby let's check this out i had this experience 25 30 years ago i was at a party and a friend of mine was dancing and his favorite song came on it and he just started dancing like crazy like uninhibited, enthusiastic, and suddenly I noticed everyone around him started relaxing a little bit. And I feel sometimes part of my job as a DJ, in a very weird way, is to try and facilitate that. I thought that was a cool way to put that. So just that I I did something and then I made somebody else feel happy. You know, it's it feels like giving something to them you know what i mean like making them feel better makes me feel better i think that and especially in and that's 
a one-on-one thing I'm talking about there, but even like take it to a thousand people and you get a positive reaction from a thousand people and they all throw their hands up at the same time. That's awesome for everyone involved. Why would that not make the DJ feel awesome? And they're obviously having a good time and it smiles all around. And that's a positive memory. That's a good feeling. That's an adrenaline rush. You know, and if you can't relate to that, that positive energy that other people project, I know all of us can find or recall a situation where you had someone like in the workplace that was super toxic and just infected everybody else's attitude and almost to where it becomes cancerous and where a once delightful place to work can become some place that you just dis- loathe because this person is always going to piss in everybody's Cheerios. You know, if you think of that, you know, it's possible to do the inverse, you know, that tipping where I'm sure plenty of us have DJed at a club with an empty dance floor. And then you play that one track and that one person goes out there because that's their jam and they just start dancing. And then another person comes on the floor and another person comes on the floor. And then by the end of the track, the dance floor is just packed. And then you're like, okay, I got to maintain this momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, all thanks to that one person having the quote. I, and I, I know I've used this word a lot in the past couple episodes, but quote courage to go out there and be the only one on that dance floor dancing like nobody's watching, you know, and, and that sometimes that's all it takes is just getting that one person to tip and have their energy affect and, or infect, you know, everybody else out there to get a, a, some of that feel good. I have another clip here from DJ Shifty talking about DJing to feel connected to others. When I when I DJ, like I I do a lot of like skill based things and also have a certain sort of style of curation, and so I'm really putting a part of myself out there for people. And when people are going going off and getting into it, that's like that's the best feeling in the world. That's that's like aside from advancing the craft it, itself. That's, that, I think, is what drives a lot of people, is to have those moments where you really feel like you're connecting with a bunch of people and sort of not just connecting with them because of, you know, some music that you play, but really, like, connecting because you're putting yourself out there and people are, people are embracing it. I like how he put that, you know, making that connection. In other words, making yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and taking that risk and then having them react to it positively there's nothing cooler than that you know i was um <clears throat> i can i can recall an exact moment in in 1999 i heard uh sasha play the song we saw him live in orlando he played the song at the end of his well it was i thought it was the end of a set but it wasn't because it was a, it was a pearl jam song and it was a remix. It broke down into a Pearl Jam song. And then I was really? like, oh, yeah, I thought it was just the end, you know. And I ended up finding that song about a year later <clears throat> online through, uh, it was a website called Global Groove. Uh, it was over in the UK. And I got, I ordered a couple because Drew and I both, you know, Drew was my partner. Uh, we were Jedi and Guru back then. We were both trying to find that song. We found the song, you know. And I had only put it on a mix CD in, it was 98, it was like 98, 99, you know, back, it was a little blurry moment for me back then. But <laughs> <laughs> um, fast forward a few years, um, 2010, I opened up for Benny Benassi mm-hmm. in Columbus 
and the room was completely packed. The patio was packed, and the patio itself holds probably four or five hundred people. And all the music was uh, it was broadcasted out to the patio as well. Well, I, well, I was debating on playing the song because I didn't want to be too cheesy about it, you know. And I played this song, and it was my second to last song. And man, when I played the song, the whole venue, when it broke down, and you don't even hear it throughout the song, but when it breaks down, it just breaks down into uh, Much Better Man. Wow. And it's just like, waiting, watching the clock, it's for the whole venue. And I'm like, look at me now, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> the whole venue started singing it. And me as a DJ in front of that crowd, it's just like, holy shit, does this feel good, you know? Yeah. It was just, it was amazing. But that's one time that, you know, I, I, I mean, there's many times that I've had that moment. But, you know, just looking back on that exact moment, it was just such, such a feel-good moment. And that that feeling is is sort of scalable right like even if i'm playing like a, a local night not really promoted just kind of going out and playing and there's like you know a couple people there and one person on the dance floor and i play something and they dance harder and they mm -hmm. smile or they come up and fist bump me or something like yeah, that they give you I, a nod. yeah <laughs> i get that that same feeling like oh i'm so glad i i made this person happy it's just cool to have that kind of shared experience with with an audience. Yeah, to be able to communicate and uh, share that enjoyment because obviously you pick that track for a reason. You know, when you play it, not having any idea if that person likes it, and when you drop it on them and they're like connected with you, yeah, that's a very rewarding feeling. So that's pretty much going to wrap it up. I do want to say that if anybody in our audience either just needs somebody to talk to about the stuff, whether, you know, it's a stress, anxiety, depression kind of situation, um, or if you've received benefits from music or DJing in any particular way, I would love to hear those stories. Um, personally, I'm willing to take emails. You guys want? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So if you guys want to share your stories or just want to talk about this in any in any capacity you can email any of us david tony or mo at passionatedj.com and we would love to chat about we'll it we'll throw a trip in there too yeah yeah uh, trip at passionatedj.com <laughs> <laughs> that's the trip laugh <laughs> i'm practicing it trip i almost got you <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for this week. I am going to send you out with one last clip from the documentary that I thought was pretty cool. And it's from Sander Kleinenberg talking about how he's the label owner's worst nightmare. You guys take care and we'll mm -hmm. see you next week. See you. Peace. I am a selector. I'm chosen by an audience for my talent to select what I think is at that moment the most perfect record to be playing. Um, I find my uniqueness in the fact that I don't run to the obvious records that are have been proven by others and sort of put them all in a, in a line of 30 and go like, I'm a DJ. You're not a DJ when you do that. You're a product that plays the 30 biggest hit records at that given time. There's nothing to do with DJing. That's just being a marketed dude that runs to the quickest fix that he can find. I would never play a record that I, that I made that I feel doesn't have a relevance to it at that point. I am the record label's worst nightmare when it comes to that. If I'd make a hit record and the hit record after three months would be died out and everybody went like, well, that's done now, I'd be the guy that stopped playing it six weeks before that moment, you know? Because I just don't want to be involved in that. I create moments 
uh, and to feed this big ball of energy that's keep moving forward. I enjoy and love feeding it, um, but I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna dwell in my own, you know, in my own creations. That's just so unhealthy. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. Okay, great. Well, I mean, I, you know, this, especially when it comes to stress, anxiety, depression, um, let me start that over. (laughs) He looks so lifted from that coffee. You're like, forehead's just like sweating. He's got the McDonald's vein coming out of his own. (laughs) When you're trying to suck on the milkshake and it's just like, (laughs) triple thick. Um, so that's pretty much going to wrap it up. I do want to say that if anybody in our audience either just needs somebody to talk to about this stuff, whether, you know, it's a stress, anxiety, depression kind of situation.